let's jump into what God has for us today. And I think there's a similar theme here. We are in First uh, Peter. Uh, last week we looked uh, at First Peter chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen, and we're gonna we're gonna be there uh, again today. But last week we looked at the topic of hope, and it's uh, what Gene was kind of addressing. You know, right now in, in the condition of our country, not even the country, the world, that things are so divided and weird and mixed up and stuff happening that, that people um, really become hopeless. And so uh, we talked about hope last week. Um, but we're going to read First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So last week when we talked about the topic of hope, we looked back and Peter actually describes the hope he's talking about in chapters 1, verses 3 through 5. And it's, it's the hope that's preached, you, if you've been in church any amount of time in your life, if you are a believer in Christ, it's the hope that you know intellectually. It's the hope uh, that Christ provided for us, a hope for our eternity when we leave this place. It's the hope for living in the here and now. It's the hope we have because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But to realize this hope and to have this hope uh, really permeate and live within you, we realize that we need to do two things. We need to see God's kingdom as treasure, that it's valuable to us. It's not just, uh, you know, something else that we can add to our life, but it actually has value. It's, it's treasure to us. And in second, which Peter said here in 1 Peter 3.15, we need to make Christ our Lord. That there is a difference. You can, you can realize that Christ is your Savior, that his sacrifice on the cross and his death and burial and resurrection uh, saved you from our, your sins. But making Christ your Lord is a completely different thing. And uh, we won't re-preach last week, but uh, you can go back and, and listen to that on the website or on uh, Facebook. Um, that's what we talked about last week. And so this week in the second half of verse 15, Peter said this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So Peter encourages us to be prepared to answer someone when they inquire about your hope. And my question today is this that we want to dive into is, how are people alerted to the hope we have? I mean, what is it that's prompting them to ask this question about hope? And grateful uh, for Peter, he doesn't just leave us hanging. He actually addressed this previously before he makes this statement. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And we're going to end up really going through all the way through the first part of chapter 3. But let's start in verse 11. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's, let's stop right here. Peter says, hey, live such good lives. It, I just press pause right here, and I say, good. Good by whose standards? Right? The, the, which standards do we live good by? Good by my standards? Good by society's standards? What does he mean, live such good lives? Who gets to determine whether I'm living a good life or a bad life? Who gets to determine if, if this descriptor is good and this descriptor is not good? How do I know? How do I know? He goes on, he says this. Pagans, which he's referring to non-believers, he's not, he's not referring to people who uh, are uh, involved in witchcraft or people who are demonic, although they might be in this category. He's referring to just anybody who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of their life. He says, live these such good lives that people who don't believe uh, may reject the way you live, but they really can't find any fault in it. Which, we kind of understand that. Like, someone might look at your life and say, there's no way I'd want to live that way, but I can't really, you're not doing anything evil, you're not, I can't really find fault, but I reject it. This is what Peter is telling us. So Peter makes this statement, hey, abstain and live such good lives that the non-believers who see you, even though they speak against it and they kind of reject how you're living, they really don't have a leg to stand on. They can't really point to anything specific. They don't want it. They can't find fault, but they're going to maliciously talk about it. But he goes on now and he gives us some examples. And it's important for us to know that between verses 12 and 13 is not a break in thought. It's continuous. Because oftentimes when we read scripture, sometimes when there's a break in a new paragraph, we think, oh, well, Peter is now changing his thought process to something different. So if we look at this by saying, hey, this is a continual thought that Peter is articulating to you and to me, we'll discover some truths here. So verse 13, he says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 17, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. We need to pause here. I want to remind you. He's saying here, hey, submit to authority. And he goes down the list, the supreme authority, the emperor. And he goes down the list. And in fact, in verse 17, he's kind of uh, referencing all the different groups, right? To everyone, family of believers, there's some authority. God has authority. The emperor, the government has authority. And he's saying, honor the emperor. Submit to his authority. I don't know if you were... We're here last week or not, but uh, who was the emperor at the time that Peter wrote this? Nero. Nero was known for his horrific persecution of Christians. The two examples I gave you last week were he would roll them in pitch and use them in his garden as human torches to light his garden while they were alive, by the way. He would uh, take the skins of animals and sew them up around uh, people who believed in Christ and put them in an arena and crowds would watch dogs tear them apart. 
This is the emperor that Peter's writing about. Submit to the emperor. Honor him. What? What? He's persecuting Christians in horrific ways, and Peter's like, yeah, submit to him and honor him. Come back to that. Let's look at verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It seems like there's not even any words to try to explain what Peter's saying here. He says, hey, slaves, you know, you have these masters, and, you know, it might be a good idea if, if we're saying, hey, submit to those who are nice to you. But he's saying, hey, no, 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 the ones that are really harsh, that treat you terrible, that maybe beat you for no reason, you need to submit to those guys. I mean, how do you even put into words what Peter's trying to convey here? Non-believers use these verses and say, look, this is terrible stuff Peter's writing about. Let's go on. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, he just talked about slaves submitting to to, uh, your, your masters, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I think, uh, you know, that verse has been thrown around in church and non-church contexts for quite some time. But Paul's saying, uh, Peter's saying, hey, wives, you need to submit to your husband, especially those who aren't believers. And that your inward, who you are, and your, and, and your personality, your pers- not your personality, but the person and what you believe and how you treat them and how you respond to them may even... Win them over. One more, verse 7. Each one of these is a thought, and I don't want to read the whole scripture because we'd be here a while. But now he addresses husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We tend to focus in this one on, uh, hey, treat your wife as the weaker one so that God doesn't hinder your prayers. But the shocking statement here to husbands is equally as it is to the wives. And that's this. In the culture at that time, wives were property. Men, men, uh, men received the inheritance. Uh, women were, did not receive any inheritance. They were just property to be bartered with by dads, by families to for certain, uh, you know, bridal prices and, and uh, connections to families and these kinds of things. And Peter's saying here, husbands, treat your wives with gentleness and respect as co-heirs of the promise. What is, what is Peter saying? He's saying, treat your wives as equals, not as property. He's saying, treat her as a fellow heir. She's going she's gonna to inherit the same thing you're inheriting. There's no difference. She's not beneath you. She's not property. Treat her as a co-heir with gentleness and respect. The reason he, they say the weaker vessel is because he's talking about the, the, the treating of, with gentleness as if somebody was, was weaker or not. Just don't, 
do whatever you want with and throw here and do that and, and, and treat them harshly. I mean, as we look at these four things that Peter is talking about, and you can look in your scriptures, they're, they're one right after the other. What's Peter getting at? Is each one of these its own thought? Like, you know, Peter's saying, hey, submit to authority. Now he's saying, you know, slaves submit to masters. Now as he's saying this, they all point to the same thing. Peter is not condoning Nero's persecutions. Peter is not condoning slavery. And Peter is certainly not condoning uh, male chauvinism or supremacy of the male gender. They all point to one thing that he's talking about here. All of the above were, and honestly currently are, shocking responses that are contrary to how the world operates. And the world operated a certain way at that time. All of these were completely shocking statements of behavior. You see, Peter ties all four of these examples together in the next couple of verses. Let's look at verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter comes around and he completely flips what the world thinks and says we should be completely different. Our responses, our actions should be different. That we are to live as Christ lived. He's actually repeating here something he said in, in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, Paul tells us in uh, Romans chapter 12, it should be a f- popular verse to you too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a, it's a great verse. But he alerts us to something that we all already know. That there's a certain pattern to the way this world lives and operates. Right? No, you don't, you don't see it? Like, the whole world just responds a certain way. Like, uh, how about the one that they, people like to think is biblical? Eye for an eye, man. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. You get me, I'm going to get you back. I mean, so many movies tap into that emotion uh, of, of men who, like, they hurt my family, revenge, I'm going after them. Like, and we're like, yeah, he got him. We feel so good at the end when the enemy gets the slow, painful death. Just what he deserved. Right? I mean, it's just part of eye for an eye, man, tooth for a tooth. And then there's like other patterns in this world like, hey, you, you know, you got to fight for yourself. You got to fight for your way, man. No one's going to, no one's going to help you come alongside. You got to go get yours while you can get it. Right? There's these patterns. The way that the world around us thinks that as you start to think in those terms and look for them, you'll discover them. So the whole world just thinks a certain way. Responds a certain way. And it's normal. It's just normal for us as the world. Like, well, this is how the world operates. The thing is this. 
the entire New Testament shows us that Christ lived differently than the pattern of this world. He didn't live the pattern at all. It blew the religious leaders' minds away. They were like, this guy, man, what are we going to do with him? He's not falling into line where he belongs. He's not following the pattern that we're all following. He sticks out like a sore thumb. He's a little bit uh, annoying to us. Um, He needs to follow the pattern. And then people recognize that this guy, man, he speaks with authority. He heals people. He doesn't respond. He hangs out with people that he shouldn't hang out with. Like all of these crazy things, this pattern that Jesus has completely flipped around. And what Peter is saying is because Christ lived differently, we live differently. And it is this gap, it is this difference in how we live compared to the world that alerts the world to the hope that we have. Do you see that? I'm going to say it again. That when we don't live according to the pattern of this world, when the, when, when the way the world operates is not the way we operate, people go, what's up with that person? How come they're not motivated by money? How come they're not motivated by revenge? How come they so easily forgive? How come they sacrifice uh, their own self for the benefit of others? This is not the pattern of the world. What the heck is up with that person? It's that difference that alerts people to the hope that we have. You see, hope is displayed in how we live our lives. And it's important to understand this. Because for years, at least the last 500 years from the Reformation, we've been told that how we share the hope that we have is primarily through our voice and verbal communication. What I'm telling you today is that is not the primary alertingness to the gospel message. Peter's outlining it for us right here. That hope is displayed in how you live your lives and it generates questions for the world around us that we then affirm with our voice when people ask. That's the pattern of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we don't get to from afar throw tracks at people. Or we don't from afar get to stand in a studio with a whole bunch of Christians and speak into a microphone and then put it on a, on a radio to just alert people to the kingdom and that's how the world's going to get won. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. And Peter's outlying for us that when we choose to bless instead of curse, when we choose to submit instead of rebel, when we choose to serve instead of oppress, When we choose to give instead of take, include instead of reject, love instead of hate, honor instead of tolerate, speak peace instead of war, open instead of close, or we choose to heal instead of wound, the world looks at us and says, what is going on with those people? It is a shock to the pattern of this world, and it makes people ask questions. You start living that way in the realms that you live in, the, in, in your world, 
you live that radically different, it sends shockwaves through your community. People don't understand you. People start wondering, what is going on with those people? I don't like the way that... But they can't find fault, which is what Peter's talking about. That they see your good lives, and even though they speak maliciously against you, they can't find anything wrong. And that when God comes back, they go, oh, that makes sense. You see, it's at this moment when we, when we live our lives these certain ways and people begin to ask questions, is at this moment that they are ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the moment we use our words. That's the moment that we have this answer stored up for us. So when they ask, we say, hey, let me tell you why I live differently. Our Christianity in, in America has it a little backwards. You see, we've proclaiming with our mouths a life that we're unwilling to live in action. And the world around us picks up on it. The world around us knows what this says. And they look at the lives of believers and they go, well, you're not living this. Why would I want to be that way? Why would I want to speak but then make no difference, live, live no differently? And I'm not talking about church attendance and putting money in the offering. We're talking about a life lived as Christ lived. In the things I just mentioned, blessing instead of cursing. I mean, what, can you imagine? Peter says, honor the emperor. You mean the same emperor that is uh, using us as human torches us and feeding us to the lions? You want us to honor that guy? He's like, absolutely. It'll make people stand up and ask questions, won't it? Say, because my hope is not in the emperor. My hope is in the king of kings, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And whether I live or die, I mean, Shadrach and Meshach, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the best answer ever for us today. O king, they weren't disrespectful. They recognized who he was. O king, um, we are sorry. We cannot bow to your God because we have a, a God in heaven who will save us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow to you. Like, the king's like, first gets anger, and then they're delivered, and the country, Christianity's preached. The good news is preached. Of course, we're reminded in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We could talk all day about this. I mean, there's portions in Scripture like our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against principalities and spiritual powers. And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't use the same things that this world does. So we don't fight fire with fire. We don't stand up and say, well, you did that to me. Let's come on. Let's go a few rounds. My God is stronger. I'll take you out. Like, but that seems to be the prevailing attitude amongst most Christians, at least in America. You're going to take to the radio? I'll take to the radio. You want to take to social media? I'll take it to social media. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. And what happens is the world around us looks at us and says, well, you're not any different. You see, this is also the pattern that Peter is talking about. <laughs> 
is also the pattern for the spread of Christianity that we see in, in Scripture. I mean, we, we love to point to the sermons of Peter. I mean, when I went to Bible school, that was like our dream, our goal. Man, if I could preach like Peter, thousands coming to the Lord on one, from one sermon. Like, right? Come on, Sean, right? Isn't that like, it's held up like Peter's the most awesomest preacher in all of history. Like, even Billy Graham wasn't as good as Peter. But I want to point out to you that all of, his, all of his amazing sermons were preceded by the curiosity of people. They were curious because they observed something radically different. We're not going to turn to all of them, but Acts chapter 2 records the day of Pentecost. When the people who are speaking in tongues, unknown languages to them, they're speaking out loud in this unknown language, and the realization that that unknown language to them was known by foreign people who were visiting. And they're like, what is this? How is this like Galilean guy able to speak, you know, uh, I don't know, gibberish from Gaul or wh- whatever the native... And, and they're like, whoa, we're curious. What's going on here? Peter stands up and explains what's going on, preaches, people get saved. Acts chapter 5. Peter and John are walking, they... A lame man at the temple is begging, asks them for some money. And they're like, you know, Peter was like, oh, this is my opportunity to preach the word and have people come to Jesus. You ready, John? Let's go. Let's do this. Like, he's like, no, you know, I don't have anything. Hey, be healed. The guy's super excited. Like, wouldn't you, if you couldn't walk and had been lame their slave, he's jumping and screaming, look at me, I'm healed. And people are like, what's going on over there? They come over, Peter preaches, shares them an example. Same exact pattern when Paul heals a lame man in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. The entire town comes out and wants to honor him as a god. And he's like, no, 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 no. I am not God, but I can tell you about the God. And he begins to preach. Paul and Silas in prison, Acts chapter 16. I mean, they're, talk about radically different. How many of us, if we were beaten and thrown in prison, would then start to sing songs to Jesus? Or would we be like... Some of David's verses, Oh Lord, why have you abandoned me? They're in prison, singing hymns, praying on Jesus. You know, I just, and all of a sudden, the, the place shakes, earthquake happens, and then they don't run away when the, gate, when the doors fly open. I mean, I'd be like, my opportunity, like, Jesus, you set me free, I'm out of here. You know? Paul's like, nope, we're staying put. Jailkeeper's entire household is saved. Because something radically different happened that made people ask questions, the gospel was shared, and people came to know Jesus. That's the pattern of evangelism. What's interesting is when you look in Acts chapter 17, and Paul goes to Athens, and he decides to argue intellectually without anything happening, guess what? Nobody comes to know Jesus. They say, well, we'll think about this in a while. Thanks for talking. And they walk away. And, he's, and Paul at that point decides, you know what? I'm not coming with intellectual words anymore. I'm coming with the power and demonstration of Jesus. Because there's a pattern. There's a pattern to people coming to know and be alerted to the reign and rule of God through Jesus Christ. You see, the greatest evangelism strategy is a life lived fully for Jesus Christ. If we want to see this world changed, if we want to see our community changed, 
Our strategy is to live like Jesus. And then when people ask, we use our voices. I love this, this quote. The author is uh, unknown, but he said this, or he or she said this, a saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. You know what? According to this definition, I want to be a saint. I want the way I live my life to make it easy for people to believe in God. Isn't that what we're called to? Are we called to radical living? Intuitively, if you're a believer here today, you know this is right because many, many, many of us are afraid to share our faith. We go to evangelism classes how do I share my faith? People come up and they say, hey, you know, if you take this track and on the back there's these steps and you go through these steps with people and, and, and it leads them to the Lord and I'll tell you my success stories and you go, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And the first time you go to do it, you're like, your heart's pounding. You share it and people are like, that's nice. Weirdo. Walk away and you're like, what did I do wrong? The evangelist said it works and I, I must have done something. And then we don't talk. Because that approach to people when they are far from God and, and try to lead them to God right there, uh, you know, we just we know intuitively something feels backwards. But you begin to be free to live your life for Jesus. You say, Lord, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna replicate your life in my life to the best of my ability. I'm not gonna worry about all my my faults little tagline for, for Gene's workshop, leading from your strengths. The focus is on your strengths, not on your faults. You say, I'm going to give the best I have with what I have, and I'm going to live fully for Jesus Christ, and I am free to because I live under grace. And the places that I'm weak and I really mess up on, guess what? God forgave me for those already. So I'm going to focus on who, who I am and my strengths. I'm going to live like different. And then when people ask you, it's a much different place if someone says, hey, why are you, why why'd you forgive that coworker? He really did you wrong. You say, it's because it's what my God does. My God forgave me, so I pass it on. Man, your spouse had an affair on you. And you're still married. Why? Ah, that was a tough one. But you see, in, in, in my Bible, the God I served, there was this, this country called Israel. They, they made a lot of promises to God, and God made a lot of promises to them. And they broke many of those promises and God loved them anyway. And I'm just, I'm just trying, to, trying to live like God would want me to live. It's a big, big difference than preaching first. And I'm not saying you should never preach first. Sometimes God speaks to you and you stand up and you preach the gospel and you share and, and somebody there hears and they're like, man, but the Holy Spirit has gone before and done some work. 
It's not discounting preaching. See, you are you're free to live life fully for Jesus, completely different from the world around you, without fear. Because the kingdom of God is of treasure to you. Because you know if you sacrifice, you know if you live differently, you know that God is faithful and he'll sustain you in this world and he'll reward you in the next. And so you're free to just live this way and who cares if people speak maliciously about you? If you're you're loving instead of hating, if you're blessing instead of cursing, if you're forgiving instead of holding grudges, who can fault that? They might call you weird, but you're not really doing anything wrong. They just don't believe they can live that way, even though they know that's the right way to live. You see, we live life in such a way that our hope is on display. That the hope that we carry, the hope that we've discovered in Christ, is on display in how we live our life. And we make it easier for people to believe in God. Question today for reflection. Is your life radically different from the world around you? And I don't mean in the clothes you wear or the amount of time that you spend in the church building or the amount of money you put in the offering box. Is your life radically different? Would people say that you might even be Christ-like? Is that radical difference rooted in the hope that you have in Christ, or is it just because you want to be weird? Some people just like to be different. That's okay. People who just live by the beat of their own drum. That's not the difference we're talking about. Is the difference rooted in the hope you have in Jesus? Do we make it easy for people to believe in God? To this is what we're called. And for some of you, this is freeing today because I'm not telling you, you know what, you really need to go out there and, and, and share the gospel with your friends. You really need to stand on the street corner. You really need to, you know, just every, you know, we have a quota here. You've got to get at least one person, one of your neighbors saved, a, a, you know, a month or some. Like, you're free to just live differently, prepared with an answer for the hope that you have. You say, well, I live differently because I, I have hope. There's hope alive in me. And that's what spurs me on to live the way I live. Hey, would you be interested in living this way? <laughs> like, the conversations. As we wrap this up, I'm not going to have an altar call. I'm not going to say, hey, come up here and make a commitment right now to Christ. I, I want, what I want to do is I want to release you today to be free to live for Jesus. And I'm not talking uh, about all of these requirements that are hung on your shoulders that you have to do for Jesus. What we're talking about, the freedom to, the hope that you have in Christ, you are free to live for him. Go live for him. 
Be free to forgive those who, who are your enemies. Be free to, to give instead of receive. Be free to bless instead of curse. You don't have to be worried about any of the ramifications of that. Like, well, what happens if I bless this person who cursed me and it goes bad for me? It's never going to go bad for you. That's temporary. We think eternal. Our hope is eternal. It might go bad in the next 30 days. It might get worse before it gets better. The next 30 years, it might not even get better. But we're not talking three months or 30 years. We're talking like 30 trillion. I don't even know what's bigger than trillion. What, what number is bigger than trillion? Like quadrillion. I, I can't even think of those terms. Still thinking thousands, you know? Be free to live for Jesus. Be free to follow him and experiment. Well, what happened? What would happen if I just responded to this person or this situation how Jesus would have responded? And I read a, I, I read a, it's just come to memory now. Sorry, this happens. I read this quote like the, the What Would Jesus Do campaign? That was highly successful and people wearing bracelets and we, we, what would Jesus do? It's the right question to ask. The problem is not many of us wanted to do it after we asked the question. Right? What would Jesus do? Uh, yeah, Jesus would do that, but I'm thank God, no, I'm not Jesus. Right? That was like our, most of our responses. Thank God I'm not Jesus. But it's the right question to ask. What would Jesus do in this situation? And then be free to do it. Explore. Find out. And you know what? When you start doing that, life becomes alive. It becomes risky. It becomes, whoa. Because people be like, why did you do that? That's not according to the pattern of this world. That's not the way most people think. That's not the way most people do things. Why would you do that? And there's your open door to share the hope that you have. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in us, through us, in sending Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins and the full expression of you and and something uh, that we can emulate, someone that we can emulate and follow after. And then for your Holy Spirit who comes and leads us and reminds us of all of these things continually. I pray, Lord, as we sit in our, our heart and our mind to, to put our hope on display through how we live our lives. That your Holy Spirit would give us the courage to follow through. We often know in our heart what we should and shouldn't do. It's the follow through, the, the courage to, to walk in your steps, Lord, that's often uh, what's lacking. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to follow in the steps of Jesus? Lord, as we do that, as we begin to, to put our hope on display, would we be ready to answer the questions that come our way of why did we do this or why didn't we do that? That our gap, our difference, would alert people around us that we're different that we have hope. And certainly, 
Lord, as we shared at the beginning of this morning, we live in a time where people need hope. Lord, may we demonstrate that hope in the way we live so that we, we could lead others in the hope that you've given. I pray, Lord, as we leave this place that you, you would go with us, that you'd uh, bless us, protect us, provide, Lord, in the ways that you do. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to follow hard after you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. God bless you. Um, I won't see you next week, but uh, maybe before then or on the internet or two weeks from now. God bless. Have a great week.